Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, welcome back to the same old Arsenal podcast. Hope you're all doing very, very well. Arsenal have just beaten Everton at Goodison Park. One goal to nil. We've ended the Goodison Park hoodoo, thank God for that. It was a bit of a scrappy, bit of a cagey game, but you know what? Three points at this stage in the season, I don't think any of us can argue with a one nil to the Arsenal. And most excitingly of all, it's our first semi-immediate post-match game of the season. How exciting is that? And of course, I'm joined by the wonderful Chris. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, we were just talking on WhatsApp beforehand. I mean, like, should we just go live now? Go live now. And it's always good when you've got a win. Because I'll be honest with you, I think if um, if we'd have lost that, if the Everton curse would have hit us again, I'd have probably have been like, all right, let's go, let's go live at 6.45 and let's keep it for 35 minutes because let's just get in and out. I don't want to talk about it. But no, I'm quite happy to talk about it now. I have to say as well, even though we have got the win, it did kind of feel like one of those games you could see an Ashley Young 98th minute winner come in. It just felt like, particularly after the offside goal and the injury to Martinelli, it felt like, oh God, please, not again at Goodison Park. But like I said before, three points in these types of games where we don't notoriously do well. If we win next week against Spurs, obviously don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we've actually started the season better than we did at this stage last season. So like I say, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But even though I think a lot of us feel that I mean, we were just saying before we went on air, it's still a little bit clunky. It's not quite as potent as it was last season. Points are on the board. So straight out of the game, Chris, how are you feeling? I'm feeling, yeah, I think the curse, as um, I just, uh, I think Karen just said it uh, in the chat, the curse is, it feels the curse is lifted and it almost feels like that's more important than anything else because let's be honest, it was really cheesing me off. I don't know about you, but at half time, I was cheap before the game, I was like cheesed off because I'm like, this Everton team are rubbish. And at half time, I was like, this Everton team are rubbish. And even when, even just before we scored, I was like, we're two thirds into this game against an Everton team that are rubbish. How on earth? Are we not battering this side? But I guess we'll get into the nuts and bolts with that because ultimately low block football and suffer, Sean Dyche suffer ball, wasn't it? It was a bit, yeah. And I mean, let's start with the team lineup because I think that's the thing that drew the most talking points uh, ahead of the game. First and foremost, before we get on to that little tweak in midfield, we saw David Raya get his first start in an Arsenal shirt. Didn't have much to do today. I thought he was absolutely flawless. Everything from his passing to his authority in the box in terms of catching the ball, didn't put a foot wrong, as you would hope for in a game like this. But a bit of a strange omission not to start uh, Aaron Ramsdale in this game, don't you think? Yeah, I mean... It was because I would have thought that personally, this was the sort of game where he played, keep it as it is, and then maybe use Raya for the Champions League um, game as a kind of alternating. But I don't know. The thing, do you know what I think is interesting is that last season, Raya for Brentford uh, is a long ball distribution merchant. 
And so I wonder if that was some of the thinking. It's we're going to have to go long ball at times, the way that Everton set up. We're going to need to mix it up. So maybe he was thinking about that. But I think it's going to be more interesting to see what happens with the North London derby. I don't want to, we want to obviously talk about tonight's game, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because it feels like today, Raya had not a lot to do with, with, and it didn't really have much to do other than just plucking the ball out of the air with some good cross. And actually he did a really good job of that, but it wasn't exactly like distribution was utterly um, essential today because we just were so ball dominant. And then I've got a feeling that against, hopefully against PSV, it will be similar. And that if it's Ramsdale and goal, he'll have not a lot to do. So is it, is it going to be difficult to actually pick, OK, who becomes the number one for the North London derby? But I'm kind of projecting ahead and we should probably focus more on the Everton game. Well, I think it's an interesting point, even though we might be looking a little bit far ahead, because obviously we've got two of the league's best goalkeepers at Arsenal, which is a great position to be in. But obviously that poses a few challenges as well. But I think it wouldn't be surprising for me to see these two regularly rotated throughout the course of the season. So I don't think it's a given that Ramsdale starts the North London derby equally. I don't think it's a given that Ramsdale starts the North London derby. And I think where we have periods like this, where we've got, you know, three games in the space of a week, I don't think it's uncommon for maybe Ramsdale to start on the Sunday, Raya to play on the Wednesday and vice versa. So I think it's really healthy competition and it certainly doesn't drop the level of the squad. And I think given that we've got such high profile fixtures coming up and you would hope the minutes are going to be shared between the two. Um, I mean, it's, it's similar to the Nketiah and Jesus debate because they're, they're in a, obviously a very different area of the pitch and they're more likely to get minutes off the bench and so on. But where we've got these games, I mean, Ramsdale, surely he'll be chomping at the bit to play that Champions League game. I mean, he, he'll have wanted to have started that game, irrespective of whether he played or not today. So I think they've, they they both recognise that there's two very good keepers at the club. And I, yeah, I just hope the minutes get shared. But it's, um, it's a good position to be in, I think. Definitely a good position to be in. But let's talk about the other tweak that we saw today. Fabio Vieira, for me, definitely warranted his place in the starting eleven. I wasn't sure if it was necessarily the appropriate fixture for him, given the physicality of this Everton side where they've got Decore, they've got Drissagano Gay, and they they can quite easily overrun you in midfield with their physicality and their tackling, has to be said. But I thought he really held his own today. I think he was very unfortunate not to get an assist for the Martinelli offside goal. But I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I thought he actually held his own out there today. Yeah, I thought we had a decent game. Um, we started off a bit we'll get I think we I'd like to get into this in a minute if that's all right but the whole uh pace of our play was quite slow and so for the first sort of 30 minutes or so it didn't feel like we were getting many of the forwards on the ball and that's where you want Vieira to actually you know operate I mean he had a chance really really early on didn't he within the first couple of minutes and I feel like that sort of floated over it was a bit uh, that was unlucky but Again, I'm sure we'll get to the the offside goal, but he had a hand in that. So you can't ultimately you can't say this wasn't the type of Vieira performance from last season that towards the end of last season where he just didn't feel like he was making an impact. I felt like he was popping up, he was keeping the ball like the whole team that we just kept the ball, we kept recycling it, uh, and he was he created a fair few chances. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that he was involved, which um, like you say in this sort of fixture. This time last year, I, I think he might have struggled in. I think it's worth noting as well that this was um, at a similar time of year to when he got his goal against Brentford away. So, you know, I, he, he can do it. He absolutely can do it. But I think obviously the physical aspects of the game last season was such a huge problem. And he's still a very slender guy. But 
he did seem to to hold his own in that midfield. And that's what, you know, I think shows a lot more promise. And I think I would probably start him in that game against PSV on a Wednesday night. I just want to keep some momentum going with him because I still think he's playing well. He's creating opportunities. His weight of pass is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, whilst Havertz isn't, you know, tearing up any trees at the minute, that left eight role is there for anyone. And I think I actually saw a lot from Trossard today when he was playing quite deep to suggest that, maybe he could play in that role. I thought up until his goal, he wasn't the best, but I still I think um, we'll get onto that as well. But I mean, let's talk about something that I think we both agree on. In the build-up to the goal, um, the offside goal, that is, um, we had a lot of the ball. I, I do think we played well, but what has been a problem for us this season is that I don't think we're creating enough clear-cut opportunities. Whereas last season, I remember we'd go away from home and it would be chance after chance after chance after shot on target and our XG was really high. I feel like we're very ball dominant. Sometimes the player's a little bit languid. We're, we're just not posing quite enough of a threat. I'm not sure, a threat. I'm not sure if that's down to the system, if it's down to us just not quite hitting our strides yet. What do you put it down to, Chris? I think Arteta wants to have complete control of the football. I think the football that we've had so far this season, so we played uh, Forest who just wanted to low block us and hit us on the counter. We played Palace, who wanted to do pretty much the same thing. We played Fulham, who pretty much... I mean, the Fulham game was a weird one because they scored that freak goal so early. And then because they were 1-0 up so early, they just sat back. It was the same sort of thing. And it was exactly the same today. Like, we had 74.4% possession. This is uh, Sky Sports stats. I know sometimes with the different stats, they vary. Compared to Evans, 25. And we had 13 shots on goal. Now, I know... I feel like this is this links to at the, the chat that we're having now because if a team has three quarters of the football, when I normally see a possession stat like that, and I'm probably completely wayward here, you normally expect it's that sort of game where a team wins 5-0 and you know they've had 25 shots on goal and it's just peppered. But the fact that it was so tight, the fact that we only had 13 attempts in the entire game and only four of them were on target, three of them off target and six blocks it said I don't know it just feels to me like this was one of those Arteta games where he's like guys we have to just control every aspect of the football I don't want them to have any sniff of a chance and in the cold light of the 1-0 victory I'm kind of looking at that game and thinking we basically off like we gave them nothing we really gave them nothing. Like we didn't create loads, but it felt very much an Arteta. You know, when he talked about the 600,000 passes to kill a game off type thing, it almost felt like we did that, but from the start, instead of being 3-0 up after 30 minutes. Yeah, and I think the saving grace with that is towards the end of the game, I didn't feel nervous. Um, this is the sort of game where last season at 1-0, I'd be absolutely terrified that they're going to whip a ball into the box from a Pickford free kick on the halfway line and Calvert-Lewin could pop up and put it in the back of the net. I can't really think of any opportunity they had in the final 10, 15 minutes of the game where we looked any in any any serious danger. I mean, there was that half chance from Calvert-Lewin where he kind of fizzed it wise, but th there was nothing really to suggest that Everton were going to get anything from this game. Um, and I would have been disappointed. Can I, if, no, can I just jump in? Sorry, just two secs. I want to ask you this. Um, what was your view? I'm, th I'm thinking that the lineup stuff. What was your view on Eddie starting up top? And the reason I ask that question is because because of the stats that we've just talked about, because of the way that we've talked about how it doesn't seem to be clicking and stuff, and because of the game that we all knew this would be, I kind of and this is nothing. It's Eddie because he's been in form. I kind of felt like this was a Gabriel Jesus game because he's going to want the ball more rather than running in behind as opposed to a low block team. Yeah, and I'm in complete agreement with you as well. 
when I did the preview for this game with um, JJ and uh, we, we were talking about the debate about whether we should have Nketiah or Jesus up top, I was quite happy with either, either one. Um, and I did kind of play on the idea that, you know, for Nketiah not to have started this game, having gone away of England and not played a single minute for his national team, it might have been mentally quite, quite um, jading. So, you know, I, I was happy with him starting. I didn't have any real issue with it. But when you look at the actual team lineup and the way we set up to play, if you want someone to hold up the ball and bring other players into the game, and you saw it at the moment Jesus came on, it's exactly what he does. You know, he gets himself about, he makes sure he's having touches on the ball, whereas Eddie was waiting for the opportunity to come to him. Don't get me wrong, you can't fault his lack of work rate or his lack of effort. But he just, yeah, probably wasn't the right profile for this type of game. I think... At half time, he was one of the players with the fewest touches, if not the fewest on the pitch. Um, but, you know, th- there's going to be moments for Eddie, and I think he will probably start again on Wednesday night, potentially. But, you know, I still think he's playing a lot better than he did last season. But again, like, like we have across the board now, we've got so many options. Um, but maybe we'd have scored a little bit more early if we did have Jesus on the pitch. I don't know. How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, for me, it like I say, it feels like a, a game where... I think Arteta has just thought, do you know what? You're playing well. You've just had your England call up. Um, I'm going to give you a shout. Um, but I wonder if, I suspect, it maybe he'll get another shout for PSV. But I, for the Tottenham game, I'd have Gabriel Jesus back in because I just think he's just, he's that kind of player that just knits everything uh, well together. And I would have said before the game as well, Martinelli and Jesus, the relationship they've got. But of course, I don't know, we're recording this just after the whistle and we don't know how bad the knock that Martinelli's got is. Um, But that's going to need to be something to be looked at, I think, because that's slightly a, a bit of a worry, really. Yeah, I mean, let's get on to it because, um, I mean, I think we've covered the first 20, 30 minutes-ish. That that offside goal, I mean, I was so happy with the breakthrough at that point in the game. Um I have to be honest, I didn't celebrate the goal because I did think it looked offside. Me neither. Yeah, and I, I just, as soon as it came to Eddie, I was just like, yes, that, that, that looks ever so slightly off to me. Um, but I didn't realise when it went to VAR just how tight it was. And, you know, I, it's, it's not for me to say whether it was definitely offside, whether it, you know, it wasn't offside. It was so tight. In those situations, I think you would really appreciate seeing a few more angles. As it happens, we only had that one. Um so, you know, we can't argue against it. In the end, we've got the win. It doesn't affect the, uh, the the result. But it was such a well-worked goal, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was um, it was really good because if, yeah, if that, it, it was like his trailing leg, wasn't it? And Ketia's trailing leg for Mikolenko. But as you said, like, I looked at that and thought, that kind of looks like it might be onside. But again, we'll go with, we'll go with technology, if you like. But the real controversy is... The the real controversy is the the knock from Gabriel against uh, Beto or Beto I don't know how you say his name but that was a bit weird to me because they were saying like he didn't have an intention of going for the ball but if he's trying to stick his leg leg out to stop an interception is he not trying to go for the ball but that's the first thing I didn't know but even after that like the ball in from Vieira again this goes back to what we said about how we thought Vieira played quite well I thought that ball in from Vieira to set Martinelli through was really good. And then the way he just opened his body up to then flick it past um, uh, Jordan Pickford, it was one of those goals that it gets ruled out on what feels like a technicality and it doesn't feel fair. 
Yeah, I mean, the, you make a great point about uh, it re- coming off Beto because I couldn't get my head around that. I mean, you think the Everton guys played it. Um, surely, you know, in any other situation that is given as onside. Um, but I think it's because it's not intentional, but I mean, he's intentionally, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of these ones that is subjective. And I think that's where there's a bit of frustration. But then, you know, even Eddie's leg, it, it's, it's marginally offside. It's so marginal that, like I say, if we had a few more angles of it, then I think we could, you know, come together with a more well-rounded opinion. But it was given offside. It was such a shame because it would have been um, three, three games in a row in which Fa- uh, Fabio Vieira has got an assist in. Um, and he, I think he deserved an assist in this game because he, he did make so many brilliant passes. But then also for Martinelli to have got his first goal of the season was such a brilliant finish. I think he really needed that confidence boost. But I think the real hammer blowout of that is obviously his injury. And like you say, we're, we're going live straight after the whistle. So we don't know what the extent of that is. If anyone in the chat room has got any news on that, um, yeah, y- Yamara just said, uh, she, she said, tweaked hamstring, probably set out PSV, hope to have him back for Tottenham. I don't know if that's just what she's heard, because obviously we're not listening to any of the post-match commentary or anything like that. But fingers crossed, it's nothing too big. It does feel like one of the things that we've got better at doing is when any little niggle happens, it's like, nope, bring them off. Like, you remember when Thomas Partey went down against Tottenham um, and we ended up, he ended up playing. Literally like, throwing him back on. Yeah, throwing it back. It feels like we don't do that anymore. So fingers crossed. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, it's like a right. You felt something. Just come off. Let's just get it in ice and, and rest it. Yeah, and we we've got absolutely no excuse not to be making those decisions. I think the only player he probably will continue to do that with is Bukayo Saka. But on that left hand side, where you've got someone like Leandro Trossard who can come in. Um, and you don't really notice a huge drop-off in quality. I mean, I'm sure we'll speak about his performance um, in a moment, but I hope he's back really, really soon because I think we'll need him for the North London derby. It does remind me a little bit of when we took Bukayo Saka off against Nottingham Forest last season, um, and Reese Nelson came on, obviously had a fantastic performance against them. Um, but if it's something similar with Martinelli, I hope that's the case. I saw a few people on, on Twitter saying that um, you know he looked like he wanted to play on, but the physios didn't want to take any risks. So, Fingers and toes crossed, that is the case, and hats off to the club for making that decision. But the man that replaced him, Chris, Leandro Trossard, I don't think either of us were particularly impressed by his performance leading up to the goal, that is. I thought he was a little bit clumsy, you know, just couldn't quite get the ball out of his feet at times. Obviously, went away with his national team and scored a brilliant goal for them. But um, I don't think he's actually been great in all the games he's played for Arsenal this season, which is strange because he was brilliant in pre-season. I'm not sure if it's a lack of minutes. uh, He's not quite found his rhythm. But yeah, for for the time he was on the pitch leading up to his goal, I will emphasize that because I do think he he changed quite dramatically after he scored. Um, But he was struggling to get involved for me. Yeah, it felt like he lost possession a couple of times. There was one bit, um, I think it was probably about five minutes before the goal went in, where he, he got fouled in our in our half, but it felt like it was he was just dwelling on it a little bit more. And he just seemed to not really have that kind of impact. So when we when Martinelli plays, and particularly because he was up against Ashley, 38-year-old Ashley Young, like we in the first half or the first sort of section of the match, I was constantly saying get the ball to Martinelli because he was so high and wide and left. If we'd have got the ball to him more, he could have had a real run at Ashley Young. And he started to do that, but Trossard naturally just comes in field, but he wasn't impacting and affecting the game as much as you would have hoped. So that's a real sort of disappointment because when he came in last season, he was 
brilliant when he arrived for us and like made an instant impact but it just feels like he's sort of playing within himself a little bit but I'm saying that but the man ultimately made a difference in this game and has won us the game with frankly what was a superb bit of football um, and Sky Sports talked about it was really weird they were talking so much about how, how long Arsenal took on corners for some bizarre reason as if like some sort of you know, 3D chess uh, expert kind of um, tactic. But I think it was more that they were just waiting to see how Everton were set and then making their decision on what tactical play they were going to set up. I don't think it was like, let's see how long we can wait until one of us gets a yellow card because we're taking too long on corners because there was no real incentive to time waste. So it was weird that Sky Sports made that, but the whole setup was just brilliant. And then actually his finish... That was flipping marvellous. Yeah, before we get on to his goal, I mean, I think I think you've covered it there pretty well, but it did feel a little bit clunky, didn't it? There, were, there was a moment where after that offside goal was ruled out, okay, in the build-up to that, I'm not going to say that we were, you know, creating chance after chance after chance. We were dominating the ball. We were very tidy in possession, but there was a sloppiness to our game, I felt, after the offside goal leading up to half-time. And um, it was a little bit frustrating because it's those sort of opportunities that, you know, allow size back into the game potentially. I mean, thankfully, Everton, you know, never really had, an, had a sniff. There was that slight penalty scare where Decore went down, but, you know, it's quite obvious that it was a dive. But apart from that, um, no real opportunities. There was that Dan Juma chance which went over, but I can't think yeah. of anything off the top of my head. But it was just our passing, Chris, that was a little bit frustrating for me. It just wasn't as neat and cohesive as it should have been. Yeah, and slow. Do you not think? Do you not feel like it's been like that all season? We seem to be very, very slow. I mean, we sort of touched about that earlier, so I won't touch on it too much. But it does feel like we're trying to just slow games down when sometimes you need to move the ball quickly, particularly with teams that sit in like Everton in a low block, tuck in. I mean, I I literally saw Sean Dyche do the old like movement for those people that are listening to podcasts. I'm moving my fingers inward, as in like be compact and like concede the wide areas, be compact and let's just low block them and frustrate them. That was essentially their tactic. Even Gary Neville said on the ball, Everton were really basic. He called them basic, which I mean, that was quite scathing, but it was true. Like they offered nothing and it was more about us having to break them down. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of Everton, Chris? Because obviously they've not really signed anyone this summer. I mean, they've got Beto in who, you know, physically looks good, but I don't think he was ever really a threat in this game. I mean, he barely had a chance to get on the ball. But I mean, where where they're in a situation where they're having to bring in 38-year-old Ashley Young, and it's not like he's a bit part player. He is a, a regular first-team starter yeah. for them this season. I mean, he wasn't even that for Aston Villa last season. Surely... You know, it, it, it's crazy if you're an Everton supporter because the, this was a side that 10 years ago was challenging for top four. I said in the preview for this game that I remember them going toe-to-toe with us quite a lot of the time. Um, but they're nowhere near that level at the minute. I mean, what, what's happened to them? I think uh, what Sean Dyche has done is he's been uh, reading too many Roy of the Rovers annuals from like the 70s. And that's the sort of style of football that he wants to play. Basically, Everton is, let's be big lads, let's be physical, let's go route one and let's have big lads try and win headers and knockdowns. And the professional game now is just so much more sophisticated than up and at them lads. Let's get at them lads. It just, it doesn't work. And Everton offered basically nothing. I, That is the poorest side I've seen in ages. And uh, 
when you're watching it in the game, you just you're fearful of oh, we're going to get that stupid corner skanking type thing. But they've basically done that to us for the last two seasons. Like Sean Dyche's first game in charge against us last season was Everton saying, "Let's just sit tight and hopefully we get something from a corner." And and that's what exactly what happened. But we were poor and we didn't finish our chances last year. This time, all right, it's only one chance, but we did finish. And we actually had a second job. We should have been 2-0 up um, shortly after. I think it was, um, it was there was a Fabio Vieira block shot. There was also a Martin Erdegaard went through. This game should have been 2-3-0, but I guess maybe just the Everton curse was trying to work against us. Yeah, I mean, we talk about how poor a side Everton are, and I'm not going to disagree with you there, but... I still feel like we're not scoring enough goals and maybe I'm being really greedy and really selfish, um, but I just feel like goal difference could prove to be important, but also for the sake of, you know, lifting confidence. uh, I I really think it's an important thing to to win these games well. Um, Like I say, you know, I don't want to be too greedy because we didn't get three points here last season. It's it's a ground that we've struggled out. I'm more than happy with with a 1-0 to the Arsenal, but when the opportunities are there, and when we're so on top of an opposition, I feel like we need to score more. And OK, we did have those chances. Erdegaard had that shot, which was straight at Pickford. Fabio Vieira had that opportunity, which I think he was a bit unfortunate with. It was a great block. Could have played Jesus in potentially. Um, but we're still not putting the ball in the back of the net enough for me, Chris. Do you think that's a genuine cause for concern? Or do you think maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it? I, I'm not as concerned, and the reason why is because I think teams just show us more respect. I think teams basically just think, do you know what? This is a really good side. They control the ball. They're ball dominant, and they've got so many different options that can hurt us. Let's just – we've essentially played low block sides. Apart, even Man United went a bit low block on us. We've a done bit, Chris. That they went very low block on us, mate. <laughs> Well, I was just trying to be, yeah, but you know what? Man United are a weird one because because they've got the quality players that can hit you in transition and on counter. It's like, oh, but they were they were terrible. Man United were terrible. Everton were terrible. I didn't think Nottingham Forest were that good. Crystal Palace weren't that good. And Fulham got a free goal to start off with. So I, I we're, we're just going to have to accept that teams are going to low block us. Apart from the Liverpools, the Man Cities, whatever it is, teams are going to low block us. We're just going to have to just deal with it. What I think is interesting is that, and I hope this happens, last season, Man City started off and people were like, well, you know what, it's not quite working and it's not quite clicking and, yeah, Haaland's getting goals, but, you know, they're not doing that great. And we started off like a house on fire, winning loads of games, winning comfortably, and uh, ultimately, we didn't win the title. So it'd be, it'd be really nice if we could just flip that this season. And right now, we're stuttering our way through winning games. Well, not stuttering because we were dominant today. But, you know, it feels like because we're not finishing teams off, we're a little bit stuttery. But it would it would be nice to uh, have everyone talking about Man City, Man City, Man City. And then suddenly, maybe, because Arteta is doing a little bit of rotation, when we get to February or March, we can be the ones that suddenly turn it on. But maybe I'm... That's slightly wishful thinking. Well, what better game to turn it on against than uh, the one we've got next Sunday? But look, we won't jump the gun and and talk about that one. One player I do want to talk about uh, today, Chris, is um, Declan Rice. And I know he's probably going to be on everyone's lips once again, but his performance, I, I thought, was fantastic. 
um, you know, as he was against Manchester United, as he was for England in the games he played on the international break, just just everywhere. Um, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he he is our midfield or he was our midfield for at least a day. Uh, can't think of any real errors he made apart from maybe one where Decore slipped him. But apart from that, he was just absolutely everywhere. The number of times he won the ball back. Um, yeah. I, that 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 for me felt like the difference because there were times last season when that happened a lot when teams were in transition and there wasn't anyone there to mop it up. Partey did it from time to time, but I think Declan Rice was so good at getting back with his athleticism, just breaking up play, and he arguably should have um, had a, a pre-assist. There was that moment where he, I think he played. Uh, we didn't even play the ball through. He made a tackle in Everton's final third. Went to Erdegaard. I can't quite remember who Erdegaard slipped in, but. It was Eddie. It was that Eddie opportunity yeah. where he he took a touch far too wide. But yeah, I mean, again, it's games like this that I think Rice is going to be such a key difference maker in. It, it's reason it's it's a reason why I think we've won the game today to have someone like him in the fold. Um, how transformative has he been to us, Chris? Well, massively, and you're absolutely right. For me, it's that transition stuff. It's little things like I just remember there's there was a there was a. a, a a transition moment where he just nips in and he just he, he flicked the ball away, but then I think it was Dukuri just just flicked his leg and we got a foul. It was really interesting that that he's because he's so quick with his recoveries. That stuff where last season that's the sort of thing where attacks are generated with teams like Everton that have done absolutely nothing. But if they can string three passes together and go from front to back really quickly, then suddenly we find ourselves on the back foot and we're saying things like, how on earth have we lost that game? Everton had two shots and they scored one goal. But it's those tiny moments which, because they get snuffed out early, and that's what Rice is expert at doing, we end up saying, yeah, no, you know, three points to us. You know, Rice had a really, really good game, but... I always think that's really interesting when you get those moments where it's tiny, like little interceptions, which at the time just feel like, oh, that was good. But last season, that turned into dangerous sort of transitions. And we are much more capable of dealing with transition sides. It then just becomes, as we've talked about, can we actually break down teams? And again, there's more to do because, as we've said already, we're, we're still struggling against those low blocks. But hey, maybe it'll come. And I'm sure it will. One other player can I, I do just want jump to... in and just say, can I just jump in and say, James has said Rice will get caught out. Uh, James hopefully against better opposition. Um, I'm I'm really not sure that's the case, my friend. I mean, he he was he's been an absolute game changer against Man United. He's been a Man United are meant to be one. They're struggling, right? But Man United are meant to be one of the teams that are up there and challenging. Um, Declan Rice will win. Declan Rice will just through those little moments, which feels like he's snuffing stuff out, he will be a, he will be an absolute game changer for us. So uh, respectfully, Mr. Hope, uh, I d- disagree with your opinion, but uh, thank you very much for making the comment. And sorry, I'm just going to say one more thing. If anyone's got any questions, just whack them in the uh, chat. I'll star them and then we'll try and get them at the end. Yes, please do get your questions in. I think that's a very harsh comment, mate. A very harsh comment from James there. Um, I think Rice has proved it on on the biggest stage already. I mean, look at the the performance he's putting in with England. I mean, whether you take international football seriously is up to you. But I mean, he he drove that West Ham team forward against you know some of the best opposition in the Premier League last season. He he led them to the Europa Conference League final. You know, he he was a key reason of why they won it. So you know, I think he's worth every single last penny that we've paid for him. And I think he he will match up against any any 
midfield in the world. I've got absolutely no worries about that. Um, but lastly, mate, the last point I want to touch on on the Everton game is just um, just Bakayo Saka again, because I think, you know, we, we've spoken quite a few times about him on this podcast that we don't quite feel like he's gotten started on this season yet. Um, I think maybe that's a bit harsh. I don't think he's been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not being quite as how can I put it? He's not been as convulsive as he was last season. He's not been as threatening, as terrifying for the opposition. Um, do you put that down to anything in particular? Or, or again, am I just being, you know, overanalyzing of the situation? To me, I think he's being doubled up. Like Everton did this last year under Sean Dice's first game. I remember Newcastle did that at the Emirates. And I think Everton tried to double up with him today. I also think that Mikalenko, who he was up against, seemed to be, uh, get, he got away with so much. I counted five or six fouls. And some of them, like, all right, they're just totting up. But surely once you get to the five or six mark of fouling the same player, that the same player fouls the other same player. You need to just be saying, okay, you're going to get the foul, mate. So he got away with that a little bit, Mikolenko. But you know what? Let's not, we're not holding that. I think Saka hasn't got started, but I feel like last season we were saying the same thing at this time. And really, he kicked in around September, October time. So I feel like we're going to get that from Saka. And also, here's another thing which we need to be mindful of. He got an assist today because he was the one that played the pass for Trossard. So that's now two goals. And I don't know if he's one or two assists, but with five games in. Yeah, we're five games in. Saka's got him. He's already on the end product side. So hey, if he can get if he can get himself if he can keep getting those assists, keep getting totting up with the goals whilst sometimes being crowded out, totally fine with that, mate. Totally fine with it. Yeah, let's hope, you know, again, I have already referenced it, but next weekend, if he can be the guy to turn up in that game, I'm uh yeah, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Chris, look, I'm, I'm conscious that we're probably not going to get a chance to chat before the um, PSV and the Spurs games coming up. Um, obviously, we've done a little bit of rotation today. Uh, heading into that game um, on Wednesday night, what would you change about this Arsenal team? Um, that's a really interesting question, actually, because I think we need to rotate just because of the volume of games and the important games. We can't just... Europa League our way through to just changing loads and loads. So I think it's interesting that Arteta went with Raya, for example. Um, I don't know enough about PSV, just holding my hands up as an Arsenal fan that doesn't watch a lot of uh, continental football. But if they're anything like the PSV sides that we've played, um, they're going to want to try and control a little bit of the ball. Like That's what happens in Europe, isn't it? You get teams that actually try with a bit more possession. And so I do think that the likes of Saka or Martinelli will get more joy. I mean, Martinelli might be rested now uh, because of the knock that he's picked up. I think it's the sort of game where I sort of feel like Kai Havertz could potentially have a, a decent shout because you've got uh, a coached team that wants to play football and you've got he's a technically a good player. I thought Havertz came on and did all right. I mean, he didn't do amazing. He didn't do poorly. I thought he did just all right tonight, but... Personally, I think he'll probably look to... He won't look to change the big players like a Gabriel or a Saliba or uh, I think Declan Rice will play. Um, I think Vieira deserves another shout. Would I I might, Would I play uh, Gabriel Jesus? I might give Nketiah another shout and say, do you know what? See if you can knock yourself a Wednesday night Champions League goal with a view to having him for the North London derby. Um and I think Trossard has probably cemented a place, um, maybe on the left wing, um, on on Wednesday night. 
because it was a really good finish. It was a really good finish. And maybe he just needs to be getting a bit more time and not not playing through the central. But it's a tough one. Um, I think there does need to be rotation. I think probably Trossard is one of them, which is probably just forced because of Martinelli. Uh, and I think you give Nketiah a go. Here's a question to you. Would you uh, rest or rotate Saka? Well, funnily enough, I think it's interesting where Trossard got his goal from today um, and how well he took it with his left foot. I really think there's scope for him to potentially play on that right-hand side. Yeah, yeah, I would rest Saka for this game because I do think we've got more than ample opportunity to rest him. When you look at the players we've got on the bench, Emil Smith-Rowe, Reese Nelson, Leandro Trossard, who came on, um, given that he has played so much football so early into the start of the season, yeah, I think you know we should be okay uh, to give him a bit of a break. And then obviously you've got an option to bring him on off the bench. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to say having Reese Nelson on the left-hand side, where I think he plays very well, and then having Leandro Trossard on the right-hand side. I don't think that will happen. I think if it is to happen, it will be vice versa. And to be honest, I'd be surprised if um, Nelson was to start. I think Saka is almost destined to start this game. But yeah, I think it would be a shame not to make the most of the squad. But at the same time, I don't want us to make too many changes and fall into the trap of making so many that it disrupts the flow of the squad. Um, even though I don't think we're in full flow just yet. But you know what I mean? In the Europa League, I think you can make more changes and get away with it. In the Champions League, I think you can maybe make three at the most uh, before you know you run into problems. But you know, you look at our group and it is something of a Europa league sort of group. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we can, maybe we can. But look, I'm not going to touch on the PSV game too much because I've got... Um, our preview coming out. You don't want to destroy all your con- your hashtag content for no, uh, I don't. I, Tuesday or Monday night. It'll be Tuesday, and I think we're going to go for the slightly later time of about nine pm. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes out for that one. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll get the advertisements out shortly. Um, and then obviously, again, don't want to do the same thing. Don't want to ruin the Spurs preview, but um, it'd be wrong not to talk about them because they they obviously came from behind to get an emphatic win against uh, Sheffield United. Um, you know, a lot of people laughing that up on Twitter. Um, but I think, you know, to, to come from behind uh, so late in the game to, to, to win at home, I think we, if it was us, we'd be absolutely buzzing with that. And I think it's just adding to the feel-good factor that is around Spurs at the minute, unfortunately. Um, but they, I don't want to say they look the real deal yet, Chris. It's so early on into the season, but they look a lot better than they did last campaign. And I think it's going to be probably one of the, the tastiest North London derbies that we've seen in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um... The thing about Tottenham is they seem to be giving up lots of chances and that makes me hopeful because I don't think they're going to come to... Last season, uh, you know, Conte suffered ball. He came to uh, the Everett's and basically decided to try and suffer, like snuff us out and play low block football. It doesn't seem like Postacoglu can actually do that. So if that's the case, I'm hoping there's going to be lots of opportunities and chances and every single one of those Arsenal players is going to be a million percent up for it. So I, I'm hopeful and expectant over the way that we're playing. And also, let's bear in mind, we've had four wins and a draw, much like them, but we've battered pretty much every opponent we've come across. I mean, the only reason why the Palace game was difficult was because we had a man wrongly sent off because of a terrible bit of refereeing. Um, I think in that game, if we stay 11 versus 11, we win. I think the Fulham game was 
just a bit of a weird freak sort of situation because we battered Fulham and there were just two instances where we just had a bit of brain farts. Now that can happen and that may happen next week in the uh, North London derby. But personally, I'm quite excited going into it. Um, I've got a question I do want to just touch on from the Everton game though. Player of the match for Arsenal. <clears throat> Player of the match. Oh, that is a tough one. I, You know, I, I hate to say it and I hate to be boring. I think it's got to be Declan Rice for me. But I also thought Ben White was very good again. I thought Saliba was really good. I thought Zinchenko was excellent. Um, yeah, but for all rounds and the way he influenced the game, it's got to be Declan Rice for me. That's an interesting one. I liked Ben White's performance. What I, what I think he... I don't think he did. He did more in the second half, but he didn't do as much in the first half. What I was hoping to see more of was him like uh, overlapping um, Bukayo Saka because Everton tried to double up with Dwight McNeil and Michalenko. They tried to double up. And so in my head, I was like, just get Ben Wright constantly on the overlap because they can't double up, double up if you're overlapping. And I think maybe we'd have got more out of uh, Bukayo Saka. I mean, again, we're talking about Bukayo Saka that's still... He's been doubled up on, he's been kicked about a bit and he's also delivered an assist. So a Bakaya Saka performance where we're saying, oh, he hasn't quite clicked, is still a guy doing seven or eight out of ten. So I'm not I'm not digging him out at all. But I thought that, um, I thought that yeah, Declan Rice was good because of that, that winning the ball back. And I thought I did like uh, Ben White's performance. Uh, just for the sake of uh, being a little bit different, I'm going to say Ben White as my player of the match. Lovely stuff. Okay, mate. Have we got any questions? Yeah, let's go through a few questions. So we've got uh, Wookie Cookie. Not related to you, is he? <laughs> I don't know. With a name like that, I wish he was. <laughs> What's your midfield, midfield three on Wednesday? We sort of touched on that with the rotation thing. What would you do? I would go Declan Rice at the base. I think you've got to keep Erdegaard in. And then I, I've got a, it'd be the same as today, to be honest. Like, I know it's not that imaginative, but I, I still think you've got to keep Fabio Vieira in because he played well again today. He's coming off the back of two assists um, in his past two sub appearances. So I want to keep that positivity going. And I don't think he'll start the North London derby. I think uh, Habits will be back in for that. Um, so, yeah, I would start Fabio Vieira. Uh, I would also look to bring Havertz on around the 60-ish minute mark, depending on how the game's going, because, again, I think it's a great opportunity for him to get himself either a goal or an assist. Um, so, yeah, that'd be my three. What about you? That would be my three as well. But what I would say is I don't think Arteta's going to do that. I think he's going to bring Havertz in. I think he'll do Havertz left eight. I think he'll do Erdegaard right and then uh, Rice at the base, because I just think that he's choosing to rotate a little bit on that base. Um, so I, I just have this feeling that he's going to get, uh, he's going to get Havertz into it and kind of linked to that. We've had an Avon that said, how do you see us rotating for the two games coming up uh, Wednesday to Sunday? So I guess not so much that midfield, actually the mid, oh, well, I guess that's just a question that's open really. So Wednesday and Sunday, what changes? <sighs> I think uh, defence is going to be the one that will be rotated the most. I think Ramsdale will come back in on Wednesday. And then, I I don't know, I think you'll see two changes in defence. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw maybe Tommy Yasu or Kivior come in at left back. Um, I reckon you'll still see Ben White and Gabriel in there. Um, I think we might rest Saliba given his end to last season and with that back injury in mind. So, yeah, I think that's where you'll see changes. Midfield will stay the same. And then Trossard and Ketia, 
So I think it'd be very similar to what we saw today, to be honest. Um, I'm thinking in Mikel Arteta's mind rather than what I would prefer to see. I would love to see, you know, Smith Rowe, Nelson all get an opportunity, but I don't think he's going to make that many changes. So I think you'll see the wholesale changes in defence and then the rest of the team, I think, will be very, very similar to what we saw today. But if you're talking about risk-free changes, um, I don't really know. Like, I would love to see Nelson start. Um, I don't think he will, but I would love to see it. I'd also love to see Smith Rowe start. But I think these are guys that will come off the bench and then in later Champions League games and that game against Brentford that we've got coming up in the um, Carabao Cup, I think that's where you'll you'll see those guys start. Yeah. So on the, in this, this isn't a question from any of the uh, people in the chat, but it's a question from me. Emil Smith Rowe, literally, I don't. if I'm right, I don't think he's had a minute of football yet. No, Do you he think he's toast? No. Um, and the reason I say that is because I don't think there's been an opportunity for him to get on the pitch and affect the game uh, in the way that Mikel Arteta sees it. I, I really do believe that he wants to bring him on, but in a game state where the game is effectively won. So where we're 3-0 up with 20 minutes left, that's when he would bring Smith Rowe on. And he would be like, okay, now I know what this guy's about. I can kind of see what he's doing to influence the game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't think he sees him as someone that he can bring off the bench to change a game if we're chasing it, uh, which would be a shame um, because I do think he's got that ability. I'd love to see him get some minutes on Wednesday. I think he has to. If he doesn't get a single minute on Wednesday, like, that would be really disappointing and I would worry for him. I think he's almost destined to start the game against Brentford. If he doesn't start that game, I'd also be very worried for him. Um, but I just think I think it's a case of Arteta not knowing what he's going to get out of him. How do you feel? It's a weird one because he was literally the guy that started the like recovery from the doldrums a couple of years ago. Like Smith Rowe came in for that Chelsea game where we absolutely smashed Chelsea at home. And we've never looked back from that moment. And Arteta gave him the big contract, or Arsenal gave him, but Arteta, you know, he's been given the number 10, so he's been given all of that sort of stuff. And the perception was that this is one of his go-to guys, but well, you and I both love KT, but we can see how when Arteta arrived, he loved Kieran Tierney as well, played him all the time. But I feel like with Tierney, there came a point where Arteta just said, because of your injury proneness, I can't rely on you anymore. And so therefore he just looked to move on. And he's, Arteta is a ruthless manager. He is a guy that just wants to win, win, win. And I just wonder whether or not there's been a few injuries for Smith Rowe. And as a result, Arteta is almost giving him the Kieran Tierney treatment. But I, I'd i like to see him because I like the way that he, when he gets the ball and runs with it at his feet, he can, he can disrupt defenders. He can disrupt opposition because... If you can beat two or three players, you can completely change the way in which an opposition sets up because quite often teams are detailed to say, you know, win your individual duel. You know, Arteta talks about winning individual duels. If you've got a player that you can take out of the game by beating them in the in that duel, then you can open up more space. I'm quite surprised Arteta hasn't played more of them. I think he will probably... I, I, I don't know, like you, I don't know when he's getting the minutes because I just don't think Arteta trusts him anymore. But I don't really know. Uh, don't really know why that is. Um, just as a quick quick aside, uh, Gentile 1969 said, uh, KT's playing against Real Madrid tonight. So fingers crossed. Let's have, hopefully, hopefully, 
hopefully he has a good game. And then Avon has uh, also said what he's found very confusing in the preseason is that he started both ESR and Vieira in the eight positions. But after a couple of games, he's moved Vieira to the right wing. Uh, he hasn't moved Vieira to the right wing. He's moved him to the, uh, he's played left eight today, but ESR was the guy that he kept at eight. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the position that, We'll see Smith row in when he does eventually get a start for us because, like you say, he's got or that right eight or left eight, left eight, left eight. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he started in the right eight. But I think you know the the beauty of Vieira and Smith Rowe is they've got that potential to also play in the right eight. I, I think they can quite comfortably do both, um, as can potentially someone like Kai Habits as well. So lots of opportunity there, but that's only in the situation that Erdegaard picks up an injury because otherwise, I think he's going to practically start every single game for us this season. But like you say, the beauty of Smith Rowe is he's got that ability to drive and bypass players. And I feel like particularly in a game like today, where we are struggling to break down a low block, you just need that difference maker. Trossard did it a few times as well. So he picked up the ball in quite a deep area and just charged forward and Everton just weren't expecting it. So mm. if we've got someone that can do that, that can be different to the other options that we've got, because Fabio Vieira doesn't really do that. I mean, he'll pick up a tidy pass, but he won't charge into the box. Smith Rowe will, and he'll be able to play those little one-twos. And before you know it, he finds himself in a goal-scoring scenario. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised if he, you know, was on the fringes of being thrown out because, okay, he has had a few injury concerns, but he's been back, you know, since January pretty much. Um, so it's not like he's been, you know, away from the squad with intermittent injuries. Okay, he's, he's hardly played an hour of football in that time. Um, but he went away with uh, the the England under-21s, was, was great for them. Um, and he looks fit. He looks sharp. I just hope that he gets an opportunity because he's, he's too good of a player to to not be playing football. But before we get carried away with that, any more questions? Yeah, I've got a few more. Sorry. Uh, we okay. deviated a little bit there. But uh, from uh, Robert Stevens, Mr. Stevens, uh, I don't want uh, it to seem like I'm getting on Saka's back, but do you think we should give him a break for the Champions League game? He hasn't really been his normal. We talk, sort of talked about that. You know, he hasn't been that same. Would you, would you be dropping Saka? I don't think we can, can we? I wouldn't be seeing it as dropping him. But like I say... I wouldn't be opposed to a front three of something like Trossard, Eddie and Reese Nelson. Um, I think that would be a good front three for Wednesday night. Um, whether you deem that as Champions League standards is another thing. It, part of that seems a bit Europa League-y to me. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think he'll play on Wednesday. I think it's almost guaranteed. I mean, Gentile is 1969 just dropped in with a... Uh, no, which you know, it's blunt and it's probably uh, how a lot of us feel at the moment. A uh, question from Karen, which is, do you think Saka is not protected enough? I'm going to jump in on that first and then get your view, which I think is the answer is yes. He gets doubled up on. There was one moment earlier today where he gets cleaned out by Mikalenko, And it was like, I think it was one of the fourth or fifth times. And the referee just said, no, there's nothing in it. And you rewatch it and Saka... Pass, he releases the ball to either an Erdegaard or a White on like on the half turn and he just gets cleaned out and they were just like, nah, carry on. And I think Everton ended up getting the ball back through a throw in or something like that. But we've seen this last season. I just think it's going to continue and I feel like there's going to need to be some sort of, it, it really sad. It's, we're going to end up with Saka picking up a big injury unless they start looking at this a little bit more. It's it's odd because people seem to talk a lot about how Grealish uh, picks up, you know, gets fouled and gets targeted. But I think Saka gets targeted almost, just from my personal opinion, almost as much as Grealish. Yeah, if not more. I mean, it's because, you know, Saka, Saka similarly to Jack Grealish is that they're players that will always take their man on. 
they don't uh, traditionally do what a winger does and just bomb down the wing and you know put a cross in. They always look to cut inside um, and get it onto their stronger foot. So it, I, I think because it's become such an indicative part of his game, referees have become a little bit numb to it and they just, like you say, they just let it happen. Um, but no, I mean, in answer to the question, he, he's definitely not protected enough, which is a real shame because he is one of the world-class players that England have got that could potentially be one of these guys that, that lead us to a tournament win in 2024. Don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think he is that good. <laughs> yeah, let's not jump too far ahead, but actually, you know, there's a reason that we Arsenal fans call him Starboy because he's absolutely freaking massive. Um, right, let's do a couple more. Uh, Wookie Cookie, your uh, your cousin, your cousin twice, three times removed, says, is Raya playing, meaning Ramsdale starts on Wednesday? I think we sort of touched on it, but let's just uh, close that loop off. Yeah, I don't think it's a given. Like I say, I think you'll see a lot of times when we've got situations like this where we've got a game on Sunday and a game on Wednesday. Um, I, I, I think any, any one of them could start those two games. Um, but I think Ramsdale has been promised the game on Wednesday night. So I'd be very surprised if he didn't start it. But remains to be seen. A little cheeky uh, Ramsdale-related question there, and this is from Yamara. And Yamara, just to let you know, what, it, what I was drinking earlier was a spiced rum and coke, but that is long gone. So I'm back on the uh, the uh, Brewdog Lost Lager at the moment. Um, but Yamara says, um, they were saying that Ramsdale was walking around sulking. His body language looks defeated, and it's causing issues in the dressing room. Are the, I guess the question is, are the media creating their own narrative? I've seen a couple of pictures where... Ramsdale was smiling on the Everton pitch, kind of like as he was obviously knocking the ball around. What's what do you what, what do you think on that? I mean, you obviously haven't, you might not have seen any of that cookie, but do you think that's even a thing? No, not at all. I, I saw a picture that Arsenal tweeted before the game of uh, Ramsdale with his arms around Raya, and they both looked, you know, incredibly happy with with each other. And look, Ramsdale's a very smart guy, and I think he'll be more than aware of the situation that he finds himself in. And like we spoke about when Raya first came in, he will relish his competition. And I think if he starts on Wednesday night, he'll be out there to prove a point. I think it's such a good scenario to have. Whether it works, you know, remains to be seen. I do think inevitably one of them will probably move on. But I think if that happens, they'll move on being a better keeper for it. So I think it's going to bring out the best in both of them. And um, yeah, I I don't think it's an issue. I think it's an absolute non-issue. Just on the top of your head, who do you think will be the one that moves on? Raya. Really? I think, yeah. Interesting. I think it's going to end up being Ramsdale because the relationship with uh, Nyaki Kana, the uh, goalkeeping coach. And I also think this feels very similar to when Leno was the number one. And then after an international break, uh, Ramsdale was brought in against Norwich and he never looked back. I don't think it's going to be exactly the same because I think they're two quality keepers and I think Arteta will be a little bit more he'll be a little bit more um, not forgiving but he'll be more open to giving Ramsdale a lot more football than he was with Leno but basically after that, do you remember after that international break it was like Ramsdale you're in and then suddenly we're like holy crap this guy's got his good ball distribution you know he's, he's, he's good for the dressing room, let's have him in there yeah, the only reason I think it'll be Raya is that Ramsdale's that bit younger. And I think Raya would be more 
able to sell abroad. Uh, we obviously know that Bayern Munich were in for him. I'm pretty sure, you know, teams from Spain would be in for him and we'd be able to get a pretty sizable transfer fee somewhere down the line, um, whether that be, you know, in, in two, three seasons, um, you know, goalkeepers hold their value for a long time. But I, yeah, I just think Ramsdale's so perfect culturally for Arsenal, um, unless he drops some absolute howlers or doesn't improve from this point on, um, which I think he will. I think he will continue to get better than I, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if he was the one that was 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 to leave. If it do you happened. know what? I th- do you know what I think is going to be interesting? Who starts for that North London derby? Because right now no. you could say like, oh, you know, you're going to give Rayo the start today because you want to give Ramsdale that Champions League experience because he's never had that before, and so you know it's a good opportunity for him to play in the Champions League. So Arteta's kind of rewarding him. But as soon as the team news comes out for that North London derby. I think there's going to be a lot of people making presumptions because if it's Raya that starts, people are going to say, right, well, clearly he's going to be the guy that plays more often. He's going to be the Premier League number one and Ramsdale's going to do the uh, Champions League and other fixtures. But I think, because do we play Brentford mm-hmm. straight after that? Yeah. Yep. So what will happen is whoever starts against uh, Tottenham, uh, sorry, the scum, uh, whoever starts against the scum um, will people will be saying well that's the now that's the number one and then whoever then doesn't start will inevitably become that guy that plays against Brentford which will be seen as the well it's the Carabao Cup so you know that's the rotational option yeah and I I don't honestly I don't think it's as black and white as whoever starts the North London derby is the guy that's going to be playing every single minute of every single Premier League game I think like I said before there's going to be scenarios where we have um, weeks like this where we've got a cluster of games in such a short time frame and it could be the Raya starts two in a row followed by Ramsdale starting three in a row followed by Raya starting one followed by Ramsdale starting two you know it's going to be mix and match and it might depend on your position um, but I, I think the minutes are going to be quite equally shared between the two this season I, I don't think it's a case of Ramsdale is fixed to the Premier League Raya is fixed to the Champions League I, I honestly do think he's going to rotate in this area a lot more than we might expect. But the good thing about that is I don't think there's any noticeable drop-off in quality, like at all. I think they're they're both on a level playing field. Yeah, certainly. Well, we've got one more question and then uh, I think we're, uh, we'll leave these lovely people alone to enjoy the rest of their Sunday evenings. Um, Not before and- our announcement, mate. Don't, oh, don't yes, sorry. That. Yes, forget that. I do apologise. There will be an announcement. Um, that was really well-timed and very professional of me. Uh, Yamara says... <laughs> Do we miss Partey? I think you'll always miss Thomas Partey because he's such a good player. Um, I think we could could we have done with him for a game like today? Yeah, I think I think we could have. Um, I still believe that our best midfield is Partey, Rice, Erdegaard, and I will die on that hill because I think Rice is so good at getting forwards. If you look at the opportunities that he created in Everton's final third today, just by being so high up the pitch. Can you imagine if we've got Partey sitting at the base of midfield, doing what he does best, you know, breaking up play, pinging the balls out to the likes of Zinchenko, Ben White, just sit there, do that. No no reliance on him to get forwards. And then you've got Declan Rice in front of him doing exactly what he did today, but he doesn't have to worry about getting back all the time. Okay, he can do it. And in those bigger games against the best opposition in the world, he will have to do it. But... I really do believe that we've got a monster that can play in that left eight role. Um, whether we see it this season, I'm not so sure uh, because he has been so good in the number six as well. Um, so yeah, lots to ponder, lots to think about. But um, yeah, I do I do still think we, we will miss Thomas Partey just because he is such a good player. Um, 
But I think, you know, this injury that he's got, I wouldn't be surprised if we moved him on next summer just because it's just classic Thomas Partey, isn't it? I hate to say it, but he had a relatively injury-free campaign last term. Um, but, you know, right at the start of this one, he, he's picked up a six-week injury, which is far from ideal. Hmm. I think you're right. And I think I go back to, again, sorry for repeating myself, but he loved Kieran Tierney. And when he realised I need to move on from Kieran Tierney because he's too injury prone, that's exactly what he's done. And now Tierney's in Sociedad. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe was a guy that he started playing that turned our fortunes around. They gave him a a nice big contract. They gave him the number 10, but Ultimately, Smith-Rowe's had some injury problems and he now finds himself out of the team. And I think if Arteta... I think Arteta very much subscribes to the view that the best ability is availability and Thomas Partey's availability, we have to say, since he's joined us, is in question. And I think next summer, we're probably going to look for uh, for an opportunity to uh, to move him on and get somebody else in who has maybe has got a younger profile in their early 20s, can be under, can either be understudied to Bryce in the six or, I mean, that's just gut feel. Well, I mean, we've got work to do next summer, haven't we? Because obviously midfield was a priority this summer, but it will be again next summer because yeah. I, I reckon Partey will go. Then we've got El Nene that I reckon will go. Then we've got Jorginho that I reckon will go. And either way, all three of those guys are over 30. So we've got to bring in another high-profile midfielder. Uh, The question for me just remains left eight. Like, is Rice eventually going to move into that left eight role? Because I'm still not entirely convinced by the options we have at left eight. Um, I'm really hoping Habits can turn his fortunes around and be a fixture in that left eight role. But right now... I just don't see it. And do I believe that Fabio Vieira can do it over the course of a season? I don't know. Do I think Smith-Rowe can? I don't know. Um, Whereas Jacker was the mainstay last season and was so integral. Just There was was no question mark there. Uh, There wasn't really a question mark over anyone in the team. Whereas that left eight role is definitely a question mark. And that's why I think when Partey comes back, I do hope we shift to a midfield free of Partey, Rice, Erdegaard, because he obviously wants them to play together. We saw at the start of the season where he was shoehorning Partey in a right back. Now with Zinchenko back, I think maybe that's that's up for debate. I mean, we saw it in the Community Shield where he played the three of them. Um, but yeah, it's going to be exciting when he comes back and hopefully it's only a few weeks, like you said, in his pre-match conference. But I realise we're at the hour, Mark Chris, so shall we get into our announcement? Yes. Um, would you like me to call up the uh, bits or do you want to intro it first? Yeah, don't don't get it up just yet, mate. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll cue you in. Um, so, yeah, we're very excited to say that we are collaborating with the lovely Ruth Beckart. Um, so we've got a sponsorship going on, um, hopefully throughout the course of the season, where Ruth is incredibly kindly donating um, pieces of her artwork to give away on the same old Arsenal uh, YouTube channel and you know across our various platforms. Um, so we're going to be doing a giveaway twice a month, um, and each time it's going to be a different piece of Ruth's artwork. Now, to enter each competition, this will be the same across the boards for each one. All you've got to do is enter um, via our email. So just title the subject header in Block Capitals giveaway. Um, we're going to leave it open until Friday at midday. And um, is there anything else I'm missing there? Same old arsenal at gmail.com. That's our email. Subject header giveaway. If you leave your Twitter handle in there as well, so we can announce the um, the winner on our Twitter, that'd be fantastic. Um, and the piece we're giving away is this. It's just uh, it's on the screen, but it's also in the background. Um, 
of me now, but it is a beautiful piece um, that uh, Ruth's kindly donated. And I believe it comes framed as well. So um, I'm not sure what the retail value is, but, you know, it's... Um, it's priceless very, cookies, priceless. Price, it is priceless, it is priceless. But as you can see, it looks, you know, look at that. That's gorgeous. That Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if, if this was on Bargain Hunt, that would be a, a big money seller. Um, so, yeah, make sure you get your entries in. Just to confirm, Friday 12 p.m. is when it closes. And all you've got to do is email the same old arsenal at gmail.com, subject header in block capitals, giveaway, and um, just in the email, put your Twitter handle and we will announce that um, at some point on Friday afternoon. Let's hope we remember to do that. I'm sure we will. But that's it. I think that's it. Unless there's anything you want to add, Chris. No, mate. Um, another win. Um, we're cooking on gas. We've avoided the hoodoo. Um, so glad we've got that monkey off of our back. It's another one, just another itch that's been scratched. Um Take us home and, uh, yeah, let's enjoy the uh, remainder of the weekend up to the PSV game. And once again, your uh, your show, what, what, when are you doing it again? So myself and the wonderful JJ, um, who's become a bit of a resident on the channel now, it's great to have him on so regularly. We will be going live Tuesday evening. Time is TBC, um, but I'm on a shoot that day. So I don't think it will be any earlier than about nine o'clock. So I'm going to say 9pm to be safe. Captures previewing the game and then... We will be doing a PSV review slash Spurs preview on, I think, Thursday evening. So plenty of Arsenal content coming your way in the week. And then when are we going live after Spurs? Oh, we haven't even worked that one out yet. No, we, we haven't. We haven't. We're we'll so all be at the game. Here. So we'll all be at the game uh, shouting. And the challenge is, is that going live sort of when we all get back home sort of an hour or an hour and a half later is that a particularly for the North London derby, all of us will probably just have no voice. We'll all just be sort of croaky, um, sort of raspy people. So, uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, Let's, say be confirmed. Let's say Monday, to be Let's safe. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. As always, if you're yeah. listening on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it may be, thank you for listening. And, um, yeah, from myself and Chris, always Arsenal. Always Arsenal. Podcast Network.